Welcome to episode 308 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Thursday, 6th of October, 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. On today's show, six days into Black History Month, I talk about the inspirational 19th century black American professional cycle racer Major Taylor with his modern equivalent, Justin Williams. Like Major Taylor, Justin raced in Europe, but unlike Major Taylor, he's entrepreneurial, using his Los Angeles-based Legion racing team, which he founded with his equally fast brother Corey, to increase the diversity of cycling. I'm Carlton Reed, and also in this 45-minute chat, we talk about Justin's cycling mad dad and the crazy popular cycling scene of Belize. Oh, and there's a short bonus video clip of Justin on the-spokesmen.com because he set up his camera for this chat, even though I didn't. Okay, uh, first of all, thank you ever so much for for coming on the show and, and, and we're being in completely different uh, uh, time zones here. So you are 9 a.m., Justin, is that right? Yeah, 9 a.m. Okay, is that early for you? Is that good about time? No, 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 no. I'm, that's usually ride time for me. So I'm typically, uh, I typically have breakfast. I'm out the door. Uh, I'll try to get out the door at nine. I live in the valley, so it gets a little bit hot, especially uh, it's end, winding down end of summer. So still, we still have some pretty intense days and when you're saying getting out the door that's for training or that what what is that yeah yeah that's for training that's that's usual that's usual ride time yeah that kind of makes sense to for here where we are it's raining all the time so that that wouldn't (laughs) that wouldn't apply you kind of go out between the rain showers (laughs) uh are you in england yeah northern england even worse than just being in england yeah that's that's rough man i was in london maybe three weeks ago and it was it was amazing well i'm talking about london and talking about the UK, you've got uh, the Legion kit is is done by Rafa, so that's that's a London, right. a UK, a British brand. How did that deal? Because it looks fabulous, by the way. How did that deal with Rafa come about? No, that's a great question. Uh, the deal with Rafa um, came about because I have a friend named Mark Alfred who uh, works for them. Uh, he's their marketing manager for uh, the Santa Monica store, and. Um, I went to a premiere uh, with Gus Morton's uh, where about thereabouts, uh, and we had this conversation after after um, after the premiere had happened, and I had talked to Mark and I said, "Hey man, like, I like I love this. This is really dope." Um, and he had been trying to corner me because I was riding another brand. Uh, and he was like, "Dude, you got to come to Rafa. You know the way we market things, the way we tell stories." Uh, it's really in line with kind of what you're trying to do and how how you're trying to tell stories. Um, and, and me and him just chat. It was a couple other really cool people that I had loved from the brand. 
um, and had good relationships with. So I, I really considered it, but really, you know, my friend Mark and and, and the understanding of how Rafa uh, operates and functions as a, a storytelling brand really is what drove me to go um, go in that direction. Obviously, their clothing their clothing is amazing, and so that was a factor also. But the big factor was like the storytelling that the brand. Um, because they're, they're, they're obviously known for having very, very expensive, very, very slick, very, very nice kit. But yeah. yet that storytelling, which you mentioned there, because they are doing a, an awful lot more for diversity in cycling, which is what you're you're absolutely about, too. Right. And and so the missions aligned there. Right. They wanted to they wanted to give more uh, into that. And that's obviously like you know most of what we're trying to accomplish is creating diversity and inclusion within the space. Um, and giving people an opportunity to be the most authentic version of themselves. Um, and so it, that alignment was very important. And, and they uh, they gave us that platform to, to, to tell that story on a bigger level. Now, my son, who is currently, uh, he did the transcontinental, uh, the race across Europe just recently. And he's riding back from that. And he rang just before we, we came on uh, air to record this. And I said, look, i got to go, son, because I'm going to be interviewing you. And he said, oh, he's really cool. And I said, Josh, wh- why? Why is Justin really cool? And then he gave me your life story. So he clearly, I haven't asked, I, I did not prime him on this. I did not say, you know, he, he just I knew everything about you. He told me all the podcasts he's listened to where, where you've been on. Hopefully you now listen to this one. Um, and he knows about uh, your your brother, all your background, all that kind of stuff. And then he made this really interesting point. And if if this makes a Forbes story, then th- this kind of uh, 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 comes to the fore here. In that he said, "Do you know the, a guy called Mark Beaumont? Have you heard of that guy?" Uh, no. He's a, he's no, a long distance cyclist. He, he's the guy who's written ridden around the world the fastest in a number of different uh, ways. He's, he's that kind of guy. But my son said, uh, uh, Justin is like Mark Beaumont because they're both business minded. So Mark has kind of like made a business out of his his prowess in in cycling. And you are also very, you know, founding a team or co-founding a team. It's that kind of ethos as well. Uh, So tell me about your business acumen and, and how it developed? Yeah, it's honestly it's come uh, it's come very natural to me. I, I have such an entrepreneurial um, mindset, and and that's something that's always been um, just a part of who I am. I've always thought about how things work and why people buy things and what connects people to products and why I love Nike and not you know you know any other brand. Um, and so that was always fascinating to me. I think it started with kind of like this fascination with marketing and then and then the stubbornness to want to do things my own way. I'm very much of the mindset that uh, just because people have done it one way doesn't mean that it doesn't, it can't be done another way. And I think that finding your why and, and the truth of what drives you and then getting people on board to help you with that vision is something that's very important um, uh, to to that understanding uh, of of having, to my understanding of having a successful business, um, so yeah, I think it started in marketing, and and then everything else is just learning and knowledge. Uh, I was I'm just really thirsty for learning and understanding of how things work in business. I I love kind of the game that's played with 
you know, everything from, you know, pitching to, you know, negotiations and, and trying to get the best outcome, uh, for, for kind of whatever your goals are. Uh, so that, that's, that's always been something that in being an athlete, I love racing my bike. I love traveling. That's still a, a big love and passion of mine. But as I look to my future, it's definitely something that um, I'm very, very interested in. So I figured why not get started a bit early and <laughs> start <laughs> taking the steps toward learning kind of the different ways uh, businesses run, um, how CEO, CEOs operate, um, looking at some really successful business businesses, uh, looking at some businesses that have failed um, and kind of like really picking apart and, and understanding like why those things happen. So, yeah. So you're a bit old for me to nominate you for the, uh, the, the Forbes 30 under 30. Um, <laughs> that was a dream of mine. <laughs> that was honestly, when I was growing up, it was, it was definitely, I missed it. Uh, I'm 33 now. Uh, I missed it, but uh, that was definitely like on my list of things to do was 30 under 30. Well, I, I, I couldn't nominate you cause you're American anyway. Cause I've got to nominate uh-huh. European guys. I did nominate <laughs> a, a cycling entrepreneur to become one of the, the 30 under 30. And thankfully he actually, he got that. So he was super pleased with that. They, they kind of sell, That's amazing. They, they, they take pro clothing from, from all the pro teams and then sell it to, to, to everybody else. You know, once the pros have, have used it. Um, let's go back to your, your pro kit and your Rafa kit and, 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 and the, the graphics that you, in fact, your, your t-shirt that you're wearing there now. So the Legion <laughs> uh, logo has the 39 in it. So mm-hmm. I, I've read where the 39 has come from. I've listened to where the 39, but for the, for the sake of everybody who hasn't uh, heard of that, this is a, a, a street, obviously in, in Los Angeles, um, but it's also kind of like a district and it's an area, a neighborhood. So tell me about that neighborhood and why 39? Yeah, it's, um, it's in South Central, actually. It's in South, uh, 39th Street is in South Central LA. Um, and it's such a great contrast because USC is literally maybe a mile away from where I grew up. Um, and I didn't grow up in the, the, the most fancy of neighborhoods. It was, it was unpredictable and it was rough. And it was, um, you had to be really cautious. And my parents did a really good job of keeping us away from a lot of things without taking away like quality of life. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the, the area is just, you know, it's, there's movies about it. There's it's, it's, it is very much or was very much. I think that it's, it's getting a bit better now. It was very much kind of like the wild west. Like I've called the police before and like no one showed up. (laughs) Like, Like that's the kind of area it was. And, um, with, even with having all of that, it's such a great place. It was such a great place for me growing up. My family, was all very close uh, to me. We used to play. We had this really cool space that was an alley that they had like blocked off at both ends. And then there wasn't, there was only one side of the alley was gated. The other side had led to our apartments. And so we had this, like, it was probably like a 50 meter alley and we used to play football and basketball. And, and that's where I really fell in love with sports was in that alley, just playing sports every day man every day with like i have a lot of cousins with all of my cousins like there was you know upwards of like 10 of us at a time um playing sports and and that's where i learned to be really tough because my cousins were very if you cry you don't play (laughs) and so 
uh, growing up in that environment where we had that little bit of protection of that alley and I had, and I didn't have to go make friends because I had my whole family. Um, it was, it was, you know, that was the, that was the, the blessing of it, you know? And your dad kind of gave you a very similar experience I've read of, of, of putting you on a, on, on a long bike ride when you were 13 <laughs> and then kind of leaving. So, so tell me about that ride. Yeah, trial by fire, man. Yeah. So my dad, like he, long story. Here's a long version of it. My dad bought me this Bianchi. It was this uh, Celeste and orange Bianchi and it had Shimano on it. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was riding this bike around. It was my size and I was really young. I think I was maybe 10, nine or 10. And I'm riding it around our, this alley and it's long. I can ride it. It's like a full effort, dude. <laughs> and I remember my mom making me let my younger brother CJ ride the bike. And then my dad comes out or my dad's working in this like little corner. Cause he used to fix cars, like he still fixes cars, but he used to like fix cars and then like sell them. And he stops working and he looks out and I'm not riding the bike that he got me. And this is like a serious thing. Cause it's like a full on race bike. And he goes and he takes it away and he goes, you're not serious. Like, you're done. Like, you're not serious. You don't want to do this. Like the bike is a serious thing. It's really hard. And so I like, ne- he never bought me that bike. And then, so it took me like another two or three years to like convince him. And I convinced him by, uh, riding his trainer. He had his trainer, uh, or sorry, he had his bike on the trainer. Um, and one day I just like randomly started riding it. It was winter and I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't playing football. I wasn't playing basketball. I don't know if it was raining outside. Maybe it was wet outside, but there was no reason to be outside. But I had so much energy as a kid. I needed to do something. And uh, and so I started riding his bike. And my dad at this point is probably like five inches taller than me. So like it doesn't fit. <laughs> and he comes inside and he looks at me and I expect that I'm getting screamed at. Like I'm about to go told, be told to read a book or do anything else like it was very known that you don't touch my dad, my father's bike. And, uh, and he just looks at me and he pauses and then he goes into the kitchen and he gets whatever he wants. And then he leaves. And I think I ride the bike for like 30 minutes that day. And then I ride the next day. And then the day after that, he like puts the seat down. And then the day after that, he like makes the, the cockpit a bit uh, shorter. And then he's like, okay. And then slowly, but surely he gets me all of these new things. Uh, he got me like shoes and like the pedals to work with the bike. And before I knew it, I was riding this bike. It was way too big for me, but I was riding it and I had to ride it for a month before he would even consider taking me outside. So then, or sorry, two months. So then two months go by. He's like, all right, great. We're going to go for, (laughs) we're going to go for a ride. And so we're riding and I haven't done anything of this before. I don't know how much I need to drink. I don't know how much I need to eat. I don't even know that I need to eat. I'm thinking we're stopping at McDonald's or something (laughs) and we're doing this ride and we just keep getting further and further and further. And I kid you not, like at the point where we turned around, I was done. I was like, I was done. And, uh, and we had to turn around and I was like, oh my God, we're going home. And at this point I'm like starting to bonk, uh, which is, you know, when your body doesn't have enough (laughs) sugar in it to function properly. Um, and yeah, and I'm just like struggling through this ride and he's like pushing me up some of the climbs and I can tell he's getting irritated with me and we're doing this thing and we get to this point that's right. Um, at the beginning of Malibu, it's like, we're, Malibu, uh, it's like when Malibu starts and where Santa Monica starts and I'm just done. I'm like cramping and I'm just, 
I'm ready to go. I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm done with the sport um, at this point. And he's just like trying to massage this cramp out of my leg. And I have shorts. I have box. I was uncomfortable with wearing just the tights. So I have boxers under, <laughs> under my like cycling shorts. And he's like, I literally, he's like, I told you not to, you don't wear short cycling shorts under your, you don't wear boxers under your cycling shorts. What are you doing? And I was like, at this point, dude, I, I don't care. I'm just like, do your worst dad. Uh, and he's just like, stay here. <laughs> And I'm just on, I'm just on Santa Monica. He's just like, stay here. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I think he's going to get help and he's going to come back. And turns out he was just, he was going to catch up with the ride that we were, the group that we were with, that we were riding with. And, uh, and I'm just sitting there for maybe five or 10 minutes. Uh, and I'm just, I'm a kid. I know better. Right. Cause I had gone, I have gone places. I, I had known better. I just stayed there. Um, and like 10 minutes later, my, my aunt pulls up and picks me up and he was, he was just gone. I didn't see him until he got back, to, until I got back to the house. Uh, so that was my introduction to cycling. That's a it hell was of an really introduction <laughs> that you ever got on a bike again. So yeah, no, it was, uh, at least the weather was nice. And my aunt took me to get food like immediately. So it was like, it ended up being a really cool day. She's one of my favorite aunts. So we got to hang out and she was basically a, like a SAG vehicle. So she's basically just following us. Um, which I didn't know because I was so busy trying to like stay with the ride. Right? I'm so hyper focused on trying to uh, stay with the ride. Uh, but yeah, it was it was quite the introduction. So my son overtook me as a as a fit cyclist at about the age of 15. So how long did it take before you know that 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 incredible experience <laughs> you just described there? How, how long before you actually had to beat your dad anyway? Oh, that's a great question. I was so lucky. So my dad raced the category threes uh, when I was growing up and he would do some one, two races, but for the most part, he just, he was very comfortable in threes. In California, when I was growing up, the category threes were like the everyday man's group. So it was like very, it was super, super, um, competitive. It was, it had a lot of debt to it. Um, but it was people that didn't have the time to put in, you know, 25 to 30 hours of training, but they had the experience of being very good bike racers. And so when I was about, I would say 15, I started racing with my dad every once in a while. And that was really cool. And then when I was 16, I spent the whole season, like having my dad as a lead out man. And I think I won like almost every big race in, uh, in California at that point. And it was really cool. I was second in the state championship was broke, which, which broke my heart. But, uh, but I had won some of the biggest races in California. My dad was my lead out guy. And so I think at the end of 16 is when I started. I think we're pretty equal at the end of 16. But I think 17 is definitely when I was I was better. I could like take him out on a ride and like smack him. Yeah. And does he still ride? <laughs> yeah, he rides every once in a while. I, I try to shame him into riding because he has such nice equipment now. <laughs> yeah. like, does he have your I'm hand like, downs? I'm like, no, yeah, exactly. I'm like, no one has a Legion bike and you have a Legion bike. Yeah, you need to ride. I, I get my son's hand down. So he, he's a giant sponsored athlete. I get his, it used to be, he used to get my bikes. Now I get his mm. hand-me-downs. I used to get my dad's parts. I didn't get a new bike. I didn't get anything new until I turned pro. Uh -huh. So I turned pro when I was 17 and my dad always gave me either his hand-me-downs or my uncles would have hand-me-downs or like Rasan would have hand-me-downs. Like there was, we had a really really 
incredible community uh, in LA, actually, of, of black cyclists. Uh, Dave Pulliam, this guy Orlando. There's, there's a, there was a major motion, um, major motion named after Major Taylor, a cycling club. Um, and it was this really amazing group of people. So like, there's so many people that either gave me their old stuff, um, on top of my dad giving me his old stuff, but it was, and I look back at that now and think it's incredible that like, I, as a kid, I was so excited to get anything that was, you know, a higher quality of what I had. It didn't matter if it was hand-me-down or not. Uh, and then it made it so much more special when I got my first fully pro new bike. As a as a black athlete, aspiring cyclist, when would you first ha- hear about Major Taylor? Is it he's he somebody that you know? Does he transcend cycling as a as a as a black man, or is that something you had to be a cyclist to be, have heard of him? No, I think that that moment is coming. I think that moment is coming. I think that there's places where he transcends cycling, but I don't think enough people know how incredible his story mm. was. So, you know, he's the first American world champion, I believe. And, but he, he he suffered an awful lot of racism when he was racing in Europe, a ton of racism. Yeah, and an incredible amount, an incredible amount. He, he like had to race a lot of races from the front just because of sabotage from other riders because they just didn't want to see him win, which... <laughs> which is which is funny and ironic. He also made a lot of money. He also made, he also made an incredible amount of money. But like what happens with athletes, especially nowadays, he didn't know how to to invest it, or he didn't know how to make it work for him. And so he, I think, he ended up dying with nothing. Yeah, that's a kind of common story. So let's let's go back back to LA and uh, uh, cycle kids. So you yeah. found it uh, quite apart from you know Legion, you know, with with you know that kind of level of cycling. You're also trying to reach kids who you know you 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 seven year olds, you ten year olds. So tell me a bit about Cycle Kids. Cycle Kids is amazing. Uh, it's an amazing organization, and it just gives us platform a platform to create uh, to to start this process of pipeline. Right. The thing about cycling that isn't the same about other sports is that. In America in particular, there is no pathway to get from being a kid to the pros. And so something that we were focusing on and partnering with someone like Cycle Kids is let's get bikes in schools as early as possible. Let's get kids learning about bikes and having an understanding of about, about bikes as early as possible. Um, and then use that to then like enrich in the junior ranks and then the collegiate ranks and then you know, after that, the, the, the category that you have, the categories that you have to climb on your way to pro. Um, so we just have such a great relationship with them. It's so fun just getting to interact and communicate with kids and stoke them out on bikes. Everyone learns, you know, mostly everybody learns how to ride a bike when they're a kid and somewhere along the line, they forget that journey. Uh, but that is step one, right? It's getting kids a, a richer understanding of, of how bikes work. So in case, you know, you get a flat or something's wrong with your bike and your parents can't fix it, it doesn't get like parked in the garage. You can, they can go after it. And there's a curriculum that cycle kids provides to the school that they can get after it and they can learn how to like ride their bikes. Um, it's a really, really cool program. We're really proud to be involved with them because it is like, like I said, it is step one where we get to interact with these kids at a, at a level where they're just starting to understand things. <laughs> and so teaching them how to work on a bike has been 
really cool. We, we've uh, had a couple stops already where we, we get to be Santa Claus, I say. We get to go in and, and they do all the hard work and we get to come in and just build the bikes with the kids and kind of answer any of their questions and get them stoked on everything from like how fast we go to all the junk food we get to eat on the road, which is a massive hit <laughs> with kids. Um, and yeah, and then just, you know, teach them, teach some of them how to ride a bike. Some of them don't know how to ride a bike. And you should, it's funny watching my whole team run after these like tiny little kids as they try to like balance on this brand new bike. So that's really fulfilling and, and very much in line with, again, creating a pipeline to, to the top of the sport, which is Legion. Now you've got Cyclovias in LA. But exactly, have you noticed a difference in in the the, the the years you've been riding? Have you noticed a difference in uh, cycling in in Los Angeles? And 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 hopefully you're going to say it's getting better, or is it? I'm oh my god! Around the world, honestly, the difference that there's been in like diversity in LA. Like it, I was lucky enough to grow up in a we we used to do a ride out of Lamert Park, which is like a very like central place for black culture in LA. And so I was lucky to see that at home. Now, when I went to like different places, like, you know, the Valley or Orange County, yeah, there was, there wasn't a ton of diversity and a lot of black people weren't racing at that point, but we, we had some, but when I traveled around the country, there was no black people. (laughs) Like there was no, there was no people, barely any people of color. Um, And now that we travel, I, I kid you not, uh, it is amazing to watch it be like a almost a 50-50 split of like, you know, Asian people and black people and Spanish people. And and it's incredible to watch this all happen in kind of in my time, I'd say. And then even around the world, when I I did a project, uh, it was like a, a panel in London last year uh, at Rafa and it was to celebrate a lot of uh, talent and black talent in cycling. Um, and, I, and I'll never forget how proud I was to see this room full of, of people of color um, in London. And, and I, up until that point, I hadn't realized a lot of the things that were happening because I was so focused on building the team, trying to change the sport, you know, redefining like the relationship that like the, general public has with cycling. Um, I was trying to do all these things and I was so focused and like in a tunnel that I didn't notice it. And and that really took me back when I got into that room um, and heard the applause of all these people of color that felt like they had something that they could be a part of and connect to. Uh, That was probably one of my proudest moments thus far um, in doing what we're trying to accomplish. Mm. And you kind of, I've read that you've, one of your um, heroes back in the day, he's not that much older than you anyway, but it was, was, was Rasen Bahati. Of, I mean, I know yeah. him from like the rock racing team and, and yeah. cool, very, very cool uh, uh, strips <laughs> they had, the, 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 the jerseys they had. Right. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to be a part of that team. Rasen mm. actually brought me on. So, so he's another famous uh, black rider. Then you've got Aisha McGowan. Who's been uh-huh. on uh, on this show uh, a, a few times, starting in 2016? She's she started getting much more visibility, uh, you know, back then as as the only at that time the only black 
um, um, road cyclists, you know, getting sponsored and stuff. So are you are you definitely seeing a change? You know, these people that we've just mentioned, you know, including yourself, are are making a change. But do you see that carrying forward? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that um, as obviously as we get more opportunity, we give more opportunity, and obviously because we understand the landscape and and kind of how some of these teams function and operates we know that there's there's people that deserve chances that aren't getting them and so i even last this year this year at uh, Tulsa Tough which is one of the biggest criterium series in the country um we took a picture with the caribbean riders that were at the race cuz me and my brother race for Belize now mm. and there was like 10 of us and before, I remember there being like Emil Abraham, which was like one guy from Trinidad. <laughs> like that was that was it. And it was like 10 of us. It was like Bermuda and Barbados and Trinidad and Belize. And it was it was incredible. It was so, so, so cool um, to kind of see that change happening. And then obviously with everything that we're trying to build, the more of those opportunities that we can give out to bring some of these talented athletes um, was was there a cycling your dad, when your parents were in Belize and and, and is that mm-hmm. how your dad was into cycling back then? Was there a cycling culture in Belize? Oh my God, that's like a big story. Cycling cycling in Belize is like cycling in Colombia. Like uh-huh. the country loves 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 cycling. We do a race every year. It's called the Holy Saturday Cross Country Race. And uh, the whole when I say the whole country is on the side of the road cheering mm-hmm. for this race, I mean like there's thousands and thousands of people lining the road it's an out and back so you get to see the race twice um and it's like it is a national holiday like this this race is so important to the country that if a belizean wins then everyone goes out and they celebrate for the rest of the week and and it's amazing and if a belizean loses if a belizean doesn't win if it's a foreign winner it's it's painful <laughs> it's like everyone's like talk about feeling disappointment come off of people uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's a really big deal so i think in belize soccer uh cycling and track and field are like the sports um but cycling is, is a really special one so your belizean heritage has been important in in, in getting into you, you into cycling Oh, incredibly important. I, I remember being uh, a kid and going to my uncle's barber shop and him having these massive trophies. They're like the same height as me uh, at the time. And I remember these trophies and they're all dusty and old. And I was like, why does this guy still have these like trophies? Like they, they look like they're falling apart. And he had won this, this race cross country. Um, and so even for as long as I can remember, uh, I didn't know what it meant, but those trophies in that race was like so present in my life. Um, and now I have a bunch of those massive trophies. Well, my, my mom has them. She doesn't let me touch them. <laughs> so from, from Belize to Belgium, tell us about uh, your time, your time in Europe. Yeah, my time in Europe, like when I, it was, it was an exciting thing. I was on the, the U.S. track national team when I was uh, six, 17, 18, um, and a part of the program was going over and racing road in Belgium to get ready for then like the Mad- the six day season, the Madison season. Uh, and it was the best thing for me because uh, the it was hard. I was a sprinter or I wanted to be a classics guy and I was a sprinter and I was really fast. And there was no real development in the U.S. for that. I didn't even get a coach until I was 20. Um, so I didn't really know exactly what I was doing or exactly how 
to channel uh, my energy and my training to get the best outcome. And then, like I said, the only thing I had was Rasan as I had Rasan as a mentor on how to sprint, but not in the systems or the direction that was going to take to get to being a sprinter on the, the highest level. And so when I got over to Belgium, it was like so much change. You know, I had literally gone from, you know, not doing it. I don't think I was doing anything um, the, the the year before because the team that I was on had folded halfway through the year. Uh, and so I was doing these races and I was getting, I was getting good results. I was doing decent. It was, I definitely could see myself doing the racing, but I just wasn't mature enough yet. Um, and I didn't have the kind of support. And there was there was a few key things missing on what you'll need to survive over in Europe. Didn't speak the language. Um, didn't understand how to function as an adult in a space where you were on your own. Um, and 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 so ultimately, as as cool as the experience was, because my whole thing was I got to do under you uh, under twenty three uh, Peru Bay, um, and that was like the only thing that kept me going. And, and once I did that, um, I, w- I was pretty much done. Cause I, after that was gone, everything that I, that was my North star. And then when I came home after that, uh, everything that I had dealt with over there, uh, had really been prominent in the front of my, my brain. And I just, it just wasn't for me. Um, it just wasn't for me. I didn't feel like I, belo- I belonged. I didn't feel like I had the support I needed to be there. Uh, I definitely didn't have the money to be there. Um, I was constantly running out of money. Um, so it just it was just too much for a kid at that point to be over in another country coming from South Central L.A. and trying to, like, become all of these things with all of these handicaps. Um, and, then, yeah, I just decided that the, like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, <laughs> like what it was going to take for me to be over there. I was like, no, I would rather be home. And, you know, I love criterium racing. I would rather like try to make a life out of that. And at that point, like Rasan was making decent money. So I figured like, okay, well I could be, I could be a, a criterium sprinter. And like, that's, that's good enough for me. Um, so that was, that was kind of my experience over there, but I go back now and it's, it's, I still think it's pretty incredible. I've, I've been lucky enough to go to, uh, world in Harrogate and then world in uh, Belgium. And those were both like some of the coolest experiences I've ever had. So you're a sprinter, you're a crit rider. <laughs> yeah. Do you, are, are you like an all bike guy as well? So you've got a mountain bike, you ride fixies. What, are, you, yeah. are you just a complete bike guy or, or are you really on your, your, your track bike only? No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an everything guy. Um, everything except for gravel. <laughs> except for gravel. But, Except for gravel, I just I just don't get it. Uh, but mountain bike, but mountain biking, I I love a good mountain bike ride. Um, my problem with mountain biking is that I keep going out and riding with my pro mountain bike friends, yeah, and they think that I'm as good as I am in Criterion racing and mountain biking, and I'm just not. <laughs> like, I love mountain biking; I think it's so fun. But I'm not trying to follow like my pro mountain bike. I'm not trying to ride down a descent with like Lance uh, Lance Hadick or or Christopher Blevins. Like, I don't want to do that to myself. Uh, but I do really love and enjoy it. Um, road bike always, um, track bike, love the track. It's, it's my, it's a secret weapon. Like if you want to build speed, get on a track, it makes you incredibly fast. Um, yeah, even like BMX, like I'll hang out and ride some BMX, um, every once in a while. I'm not going to do any jumping, but it feels like being a kid. There's a nostalgia in riding a BMX bike. 
Fixie? Um, love Fixie. You know, away from, uh, was, away from a track bike, as in like, a, you know, an urban Fixie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do Fixie. I'll do Fixie. Uh, I was actually a part of, I got to, you know, was lucky enough to be a part of Red Hook. Uh, when that was kind of this big deal. And honestly, you don't want to talk about this crazy influx of culture and people um, from every walk of life being a part of this like really tight knit group. Red Hook was this incredible space where everything that cycling needs to be Red Hook was. Um, and that's, that's fixed gear races. I was second in 2018 in, in, uh, the red the harlem or not the harlem the red hook new york race mm. which is really cool and then before that i had gone to barcelona on vacation like my vacation from cycling was a cycling event mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was it was a uh, red hook barcelona um so i do a little bit of everything like even cyclocross i love cyclocross also like i love I, and cyclocross and gravel to me are different you've got, you've got very vehicle. dusty cyclocross there yeah. You, you haven't got the muddy yeah. cyclocross that we've got. No, yeah, we don't. Our cyclocross is like a crit on dirt, yeah, which is awesome. It's, it's almost sandy <laughs> to us, yeah. Exactly. It's a crit on dirt, but it's dope because it's like it, you have to display your understanding and like skill and handling of the bike and what's going to happen. And it's it's so fun watching people kind of flail on, on gravel. Like it's so many people are going to gravel because they're like, oh, it's safer than road riding. And I'm like, yeah, but... Have you been down like a uh, like a super dirty, like dusty descent before? Like the ground moves under you on gravel. The ground doesn't move under you on the road, but yeah, that's how it is. Now, at this point, uh, just I'd like to to quit for an ad break, and my colleague David will take over. Hey everyone, this is David from the Fredcast and the Spokesman, and I'm here once again to tell you about our amazing sponsor, Turn Bicycles at www.turnbicycles.com, T-E-R-N bicycles.com. Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. Speaking of of being able to ride every day, as a spokesman listener, I'm going to bet that you are the go-to consultant for your friends who want to ride but aren't enthusiasts and need some advice on what to buy. In that case, you may have people in your life for whom you just haven't been able to recommend just the right bike, considering their stature, age, mobility issues, or just plain hesitance to get back on a bike. Finally, those family members and friends can experience a new bike day with the all-new turn NBD. Get it? New bike day NBD. Okay, the NBD has been specifically designed to be confidently easy to handle and easy to ride, even well, even for those folks who might be, as Josh Hahn, team captain of Turn Bicycles says, are smaller in size and have a hard time finding a bike that fits, or older riders who might not have ridden a bike in a while, or riders who might have balance or physical issues, or riders who are just intimidated by the sheer size and weight of the average e-bike. As Josh goes on to say, the NBD will be refreshingly easy to hop aboard and ride. Now, how can Josh be so confident in that? Well, it's simple. The NBD has the lowest, longest step-through opening of any premium e-bike. So if you know someone with a knee or a hip injury or, or somebody who just can't lift their leg over the top tube of a regular bike, this alone could make all the difference. Plus, 
The NBD is designed with an ultra-low center of gravity and a longer wheelbase. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it makes it easy to balance and handle. And with a lowered bottom bracket and motor, the NBD is stable for all riders. It particularly inspires confidence for shorter cyclists because they can easily get their feet on the ground when they come to a stop. But the MBD isn't just for shorter riders. As a matter of fact, it adjusts in seconds, without tools, by the way, to fit riders from 4 foot 10 to 6 foot 3 or 147 to 190 centimeters. The NBD is also super comfortable with its upright riding position, swept handlebars, suspension seat post, and wide 20-inch balloon tires. Need to load the NBD into a car? No problem. It folds flat in seconds. How about getting it into a smaller living space? No sweat. The NBD includes turns vertical parking features so you can roll the bike into a small elevator and park it in a corner of your apartment. Now with a max gross vehicle weight of 140 kilos, that's 308 pounds, the NBD can easily carry an extra passenger and plenty of cargo. With up to 27 kilos on the rear rack and up to 20 kilos on the front rack. And in fact, it works with a wide range of turn accessories and with most child seats. As I've said before, and this is important to me, really important, safety is a core value at turn. And that's why the NBD frame and fork have been rigorously tested by one of Europe's leading bike test labs. That's also why Turn chooses to use the Bosch motor and battery system. It's one of the few systems on the market that meets and passes the UL standard for battery and electronics safety. Read the news and you know how important that is. Now the NBD comes in two models with prices starting at $3,899 or €3,999 and bikes are going to start arriving in stores in Q1 of 2023. For more information about the NBD or any of Turn's wide range of bikes, just head on over to TurnBicycles.com. Again, T-E-R-N Bicycles.com. We thank Turn for their sponsorship of the Spokesman Podcast, and we thank you for your support of Turn. Once again, thanks for allowing me this brief introduction, everybody. And now let's get back to Carlton and the Spokesman. Thanks, David. We are back with Justin Williams, and uh, we, we've been talking about his Belizean background. We've been talking about now Black History Month. We've been talking about uh, Major Taylor. Uh, I, but one question we have kind of skirted around, or we, 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 we've looked at a little bit, but I would like to like just dig into it. So you've got you've got riders, riders like uh, uh, Kevin Razor, who's been in the, the the Tour de France, but you know we really have got you know the the, the digits of, of one hand can very easily. Uh, accommodate the, the number of black riders who've been in the Tour de France. So do you think we're going to get more black riders coming in the Tour de France in the next five, ten years? And this is like African riders, as, as, or do you think we're going to see, um, you know, black American guys coming through? What, what's what, Where do you see it coming from in the future? Honestly, I don't care where it comes from as long as it comes. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I think that there's uh, talented, I think there's talented riders everywhere. Um, there's a, there's a, a load of um, Caribbean uh, talented. It's it's. I think it's more about building a system in which they can like start that development process a bit earlier. Uh, and and racing in Europe is completely different from racing anywhere else. And I think you have to be exposed to that to really be competitive and understand kind of what the ebbs and flows are. Um, 
but I think they'll come from everywhere. It's really cool that um, African riders have been integrated into European cycling in such a way. Uh, I, th- I-, I can only hope that the same thing happens with Caribbean riders. Uh, and there's uh, also riders from the Netherlands. I know uh, uh, Celine Alvarado's brother is super talented. He's a, he's a cross guy. Um, you know, he's he's coming up. I know there's a there's a kid in uh, a kid red out of uh, London or he's in England. He's super talented rider. So I think that they're everywhere. And, I, and I'm hoping that there's more opportunities for that. Um, and I think that, and I hope that there's a bit more patience when it comes to incorporating them into these teams, because that's kind of what I felt. I felt like there was a we're giving you a chance and you're lucky to be here. But as soon as you don't fit into that narrative in a way that they want you to, which is not specific to black people, I think that's like just the way cycling is, then, then you're out the door uh, and you don't really get a, a chance to, to develop. So um, I, I'm hoping that with the rise of African riders and showcasing their talent on the highest level, that that'll continue to open up doors for, for other people. Uh, other black people. I, I, I've looked on your Instagram before we we, we came on here, <laughs> and there's a fair few of your, um, uh, the, you kind of you, you, the the brands who sponsor you. So let's, yeah. let's talk about a, a few of them. Okay. Um, so there's one of the, there's about four or five posts back. Y- you're doing a recovery with with a product. So what's that product? Uh, Therabody. Uh, they're such an incredible uh, company. They do so many different so many different things really well. Um, and some, one of my favorite things that they have is, uh, they make these, these boots, these recovery boots and they're the best. They're like my favorite thing. It's I, I'll jump in them. If I, if I, like I work a lot, so if I don't have time to ride, uh, but I have a big ride the next day, jump in the boots, kind of get my legs like ready and prepared. Uh, if I have a big ride and I'm wrecked <laughs> and I'm trying to, and I'm trying to like get ready for the next day, I'll jump in the boots on my computer, get some work done to kill two birds with one stone, really flush out that kind of, you know, flush out that blood and, and get some fresh blood in there. Um, and then when I'm traveling, they have this like Theragun mini that I just take with me everywhere. And it's just the best for everything. Like, if my neck is tight from sitting on a plane, if my legs are tight from sitting on a plane, <laughs> it's like I just have something to kind of break things up. Um, so a, ma- a massage gun. It's a massage gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you, you you might get funny looks on a plane if you get one of them out. Do you, do you... <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, wait, I'll wait until after. I'll wait until after. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, you, 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 it's it's pretty discreet. Like I don't I don't know if you would. I think somebody <laughs> might ask you to use it. <laughs> they might be like, "Hey, when you're done with that, feel free to pass it over here." Uh, because okay. I think yeah. we're drifting into a different kind of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So so you're out of the spot because I've seen a, a, a fantastic and it's just the last it's just dropped the last couple of days with a, a Red Bull. Yeah, film, which you've been in, and there was a fantastic film that Rafa, uh, you were in. So you're, you're you're kind of like building up your 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 um, brands who are supporting you, brands who are sponsoring you. So is that is that something that has come to you? Are you having to work at that? Yeah, that's that's what makes it a good partnership. A good partnership is someone that you can help build and tell your story through, and like you know, obviously discreetly. Uh, promote their their products and like who they are and what they believe in but you can also do that for yourself and you can tell your story um and so for us we tend to lean toward partners that 
really understand the vision and and our, and want to tell it in an authentic way. We don't want to have we don't want to put out content that isn't true to like who we are. We don't want to put out content that's like heavily like overly branded. Uh, we want we want to just put out stuff that is very true to who we are and and what the partnership is supposed to represent. And so we just have been lucky enough and and I guess selective enough to have really great partners who want to tell the story and want to have fun and want to change the sport and want to change lives and inspire people. And so that's what we get to go out and do with a brand like Red Bull, who's a dream sponsor of mine. That's what we get to go out and do with a brand like Rafa, who's like, you know, their company identity is based in storytelling. That's what we get to do. And even with companies like, like their body, like it's a company that is, very much invested in what the story is and what the team is and what the identity that we've created is. And they just want to enhance, they want to make it better. And so that's, that's a perfect partnership. On that uh, kind of note, because I, I did say to, to, to your people that uh, this would be like a 45 minute chat. So we are coming up to the end of, of those 45 minutes. And I, I'm, I'm really appreciative of you, you taking me your, your, your time and, and, and I'm sure you've, you may have even done your ride. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm going out after this. <laughs> okay, uh, but to just to wrap this up, can you just give us all of your social media stuff? So, so anybody who's listening to this, unlike my son, who will know all of your social media <laughs> channels, of course. Um, but for everybody else who, 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 anybody else who doesn't know your social media channels, where can people find out about you, Justin? Shout out to your son, man. That's that's amazing. I, I'm really I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah, uh, most of my. And uh, most of my social media handles are uh, at Just Williams, J-U-S-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-Z. Um, and then you can find, you know, find a lot of me at uh, Legion of Los Angeles, L39ION.LA um, on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, uh, all the good ones. Thanks to Justin Williams there. And thanks also to you for listening to episode 308 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Show notes and more can be found, as always, on the-spokesmen.com. The next episode will be a report from Brussels as I cover urban mobility at the sounds boring, but it's really quite important, 151st plenary session of the EU's Committee of the Regions. That show will be out in the middle of the month. But meanwhile, get out there and run.